0: And welcome to once more with commentary. We are a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Jenny. I almost said I'm Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Willow <laughs> and Allie <laughs> and Allie. Um, yeah. And today we're finally at the end of season four of Buffy. Ooh, it's
1: been a journey. Oh my God. It really has been. Um, it's been 22 weeks. <laughs>
0: more even because we well, took more. A, yeah. a week off or two. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And we also finished the season finale for the first season of Angel. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm so excited to talk about Restless. (laughs) Sorry, I know we normally do this, like, how are you? But I, um, watched it this morning and I feel like, I mean, anybody who's been listening to last couple episodes knows that like, I've not really enjoyed these last, the kind of conclusion of season four, because what... This is, like, literally... this. I say the same thing every, <laughs> literally every episode. <laughs> but, like, season four has been surprisingly good, and I've really, really enjoyed talking about it until we hit that kind of, like, weird lull at the end where it's, like, they clearly had no way to, like, conclude this season meaningfully, and mm-hmm. so those episodes were really kind of a drag. And I have, as I mentioned, like, I've had various reactions to Restless, um, some positive and some bad, and so I really was, like, I... To be honest with you, I thought I wasn't going to like it. And I kind of had that mindset like, don't like this. But as soon as it started, I was like, this is a wonderful episode. I really, really liked it.
1: Which makes me so happy because I remember when we, I think it was like one of our first episodes and we were talking about our favorite finales. And this doesn't have to be one of your favorite finales, but I remember you not liking this
0: episode. In my memory, I don't like it.
1: (laughs) And I love this episode. So I was really apprehensive to hear what you had to say about it, but I'm so happy right now. And again, for the last
0: several weeks, it's just been you being like, I liked that episode. Me being like, no. And here's all the reasons why I was bad. So it's like fun for once for me not to be negative Nancy. But it's also genuine because I really thought I wasn't going to like it. I wouldn't be saying it if I felt differently.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I really like this one. I think... It's weird and it's like a departure from everything, but it's also really interesting and fun to watch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There are like one or two things that I genuinely got a lot out of. And it's funny, too, again, like I don't know how many times I've seen this. I feel like probably what normally happens is like, you know, especially up up until recently, Buffy was on Netflix. So like I've pretty much just been rewatching it constantly in the background for, like, five years. (laughs) It is, you know, wherever I left off last is, like, where I jump in, but I haven't been watching it very closely. And, like, if you don't watch this episode closely, there's nothing for you. You know, like, it's not, there's no real plot. I mean, there's, there's a plot, but it's not, that's not the point of the episode. So it's like if you're, especially that the most, I think that I've mostly seen this kind of casually while I'm multitasking, it's like that's probably part of the reason why I didn't like it. That's the only reason, but...
1: Well, and I would also venture that probably the first time you watch Buffy through yeah, this <laughs> episode does nothing for you. Yeah. It's more of a gold mine in retrospect yeah, where yeah. you realize all the little nuggets. And even if you were looking for them, and you like some of them, we'll talk right, about it, but right. some of them I like couldn't <clears throat> figure out. And I, um, yeah, it's just more fun in retrospect when you know what's going to happen. And it's like this kind of gift that keeps on giving.
0: I agree with that. Yeah. Um, well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> should uh, we get into it? I think then? we should. Yeah. Let's just jump yeah. in. Okay, I have, well, I said, I have a lot to say
1: about it. I'll do a really quick recap because we were talking briefly before we started. This episode is more of like a sketch outline. Mm-hmm. And like the interesting thing is like how you fill it in. But I'm not going to get into that in that overview. Okay. <laughs> um, so essentially this episode picks up where the last one left off. Like they've beaten Adam. Um, they've all come together to do this spell and they're regrouping to recover at Buffy's mom's house. Um, We see Riley briefly. He's off to get his honorable discharge Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and they all settle in for a night of watching videos and the FBI warning pops up and they're all asleep, like (laughs) passed out from exhaustion. And then we see a series of dreams one by one, starting with Willow, then Xander, then Giles, then finally Buffy. We see them dreaming and throughout their dreams there's this common element of they're all sort of being stalked by this presence who we figure out by the end is the presence of the first slayer and she's coming because they've sort of stirred up things with this uh primeval spell that they did and you know throughout the way we kind of see little nuggets of like their psyches and um maybe fears and futures and all of this but at the end they all wake up they're a little bit like whoa what just happened Buffy goes upstairs to take a shower and we get a little bit of like a moment where she's looking at that bed where she had previously made it with Faith and Mm -hmm. then now with Tara and so it's kind of this open-ended question of like something's coming for the future yeah um but we don't know what yeah and that's that's it yes um, oh, that's like the shortest recap ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Literally, that's my goal every time we do a recap is for it to sound like that, and it never does because I get like sidetracked by whatever weird details. I'm like, oh, but then you need to say this.
1: Yeah, I um, do want to mention um, Joyce is there. Yes. Oh my god, she is like, isn't, and it's kind of a nice return to the gang hanging at Buffy's house. It, and it is.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I guess which the first might be thing, a continuation of. You know the elevator, or not? Elev. Well, I guess it was the elevator shaft scene in the right, last episode where they're coming where back. Yeah, exactly. They're hanging out together without Riley, without Anya, in a way that they really haven't done in a really long yeah, time.
0: Yeah, for a wholesome, a whole school year, even.
1: Seems a little bizarre to me that Giles stuck around for it the is, it the movie weird. fest, but we'll go but with I, it.
0: Well, I think the explanation there, right, is that like the, this the the spell that they did did do something to them and I feel like maybe he's still feeling kind of the after effects of that and so they like either they want to be close or there's some sort of like longing there that maybe isn't always around. Mm -hmm. That's what I would how I would justify that. Um, Also that they, you know, kind of once again, it's like, well, when you avert the uh, near apocalypse or whatever, like maybe you want to hang out and just like enjoy yourself. Yeah. But it did feel a little weird that he was there. I think off the bat, like in terms of what, you know, so like we were talking a lot last week about (laughs) what the word penultimate means. (laughs) <laughs> um, and how like, and this is the only season of Buffy that does this, where there's a big climax and it happens in the second to last episode instead of the final one. And I, and for all my complaints about the last few episodes of this season, I think that's actually one of the things that really works in favor of this really bizarre, you know, conclusion is that the rest of the season wasn't that strong and so it's like, you kind of do need something to like cleanse your palate or just it it works better than I think it would have if they had had a really successful, you know, like at the end of season three, they have to defeat the mayor. And if you tried to come back and be like, and also here's how they felt about it later, it'd be like, I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, or it's like they do sort of give you that at the beginning of season three because Buffy's dealing with killing Angel, but it's just not it wouldn't have made any sense. It doesn't make any sense in a in a season that has like a really strong villain and a strong conclusion to end this way. But where this season was really lacking, I think that's why this one was kind of fun to watch, because it was like, yeah, I don't even I don't feel like I really got any um, satisfaction out of those last ones. So it's like I'm kind of open minded for something different to happen. I guess that's where my ultimate that's like my ultimate assessment of this episode was like they were never going to be able to do this any other time as a finale. But this was the right season to do it.
1: Absolutely. Like maybe the weakness of the finale of the well, the typical finale mm-hmm. that we saw last week opens up the opportunity to kind of get a little bit weird and yeah. trippy and like spend a lot of time with just the characters. Yeah.
0: And because like that character moment is kind of what was missing a lot from the last few episodes. You know, they. Yeah. Yes, it worked in the elevator shaft. But other than that, it, it didn't. It didn't work. You know what? So-
1: so we know how we were saying that primeval was really Riley's episode, mm-hmm. right? Like the the emotional stakes belonged to Riley and that was kind of a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've translated the after effects of doing the spell to kill Adam, those emotional stakes belong to Buffy and her friends. Right,
0: right. And we're and this is kind of exploring that. Exactly. So it's like really writing all the wrongs of the Riley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just obviously doing a huge amount of like place setting and foreshadowing both of them at the same time, which is really impressive.
1: (laughs) I think what might be helpful is if we go through the individual dreams and talk about what we think is foreshadowing and like what it means. And cause some of it, I was really closely watching and some of it, I just like, wasn't sure what was supposed to mean something and what wasn't and what they just like never followed up on. I agree. Yeah. So we start start with with Willow. Willow. Yeah. Yeah. And I noticed, um, maybe you figure this out, but I noticed because of the way each of their dreams ended, there was like a definite like element that belonged to each of them. Like Willow's was air. Oh, no.
0: Xander's was heart and Giles
1: was brain because Willow ends being suffocated. Mm -hmm. Xander's ends him getting his heart Heart ripped ripped out. out. Yeah. And then Giles ends with his like head, head cut being off. cut open. Yeah. And I couldn't figure out what Buffy was supposed to be, but it sound, it seems like it's tied back to the spell, right, of like air, heart, brain, like all coming together as like one being.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's because I, I was, know if there was tuning like, last episode out that I didn't even think about <laughs> that.
1: <laughs> but I don't know if there was supposed to be more to that. I mean, so, maybe she just
0: is the power, you know, that they created. Yeah.
1: So we'll start with Willow. Yeah. So do you want to recap Willow's dream?
0: Sure. I mean... It goes all over the place, obviously, as dreams yeah. do. And I guess to start, to start, we've already started. Do you
1: want to... Wait, this is really fun. Do you want to share your weirdest dream recently? Oh my God.
0: No, I not Because I had
1: a really bizarre dream last night. I have weird I dreams. I feel like it's relevant. I have
0: weird <laughs> dreams literally every night, and I think about them constantly. <laughs> it's a bizarre thing. <laughs> no. I don't, I don't know, know where mine
1: came from, but... I had a dream last night where I was being like hunted by something, and there was this creature like <laughs> protecting me. Did
0: you watch this episode, Valley? <laughs>
1: Probably, but do you want to know the, what the creature was that was protecting me? Yes, it was like a unicorn type <laughs> thing, but with like rainbow <laughs> wings, with the face of um, I can't pronounce his last name, but he played Logan on Gilmore Girls and uh-huh. Carrie on oh, The Good
0: Goodbye. <laughs> Matt Chuski. I've never heard it said out loud. Zukri, maybe. Yeah, that sounds weird. More. Uh, That's
1: weird. That's it was a weird, weird. dream. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was having a dream last night. I was like at staying at, I guess, at someone's house and I was like trying to take a shower. I like couldn't find all my shower things. And then later I was in my parents' house and the police knocked on the door and they had a battering ram and I was like, holy shit, what's going on? I thought they were going to arrest my mom because it was dream logic and there was some like previous issue with like her car papers or something, like her ownership papers or something. But in fact, they were trying to like raid the, the neighbor's house behind my parents' house and like that were trying to go through our house. But it was really freaky. I didn't enjoy it. I woke up all stressed out. Dreams are so weird. Um, my, I have a lot of things to say about dreams. <laughs> and so I, I do remember a lot of mine. All, one, of the, one of the things I don't want to reveal, but one of the things is that my, like, when I'm stressed out, you know, like, some people have, like, teeth falling out dreams or whatever, like, recurring nightmare. Mm-hmm. I occasionally have the, like, show up to class and you never were in there and you didn't study. But that's yeah, a lot. that's pretty, that a lot. That one's pretty rare for me, but the, the main thing that I have is nightmares about tsunamis. Oh, like weird. literally I have a nightmare about like, oh, there's a 30 foot wave and I see it coming. and I can't go anywhere. Everybody make of that what you will.
1: <laughs> I have the one where like you have to go to the bathroom, but oh, you can't, can't find them. a usable bathroom. I
0: have that a lot too. Okay. Yeah. That was the one I didn't want to say. It was very relatable. Oh, the, the, that's the, very common. The Xander one, <laughs> the Xander part. I was like, I feel you, man. <laughs> it's like you get to a bathroom <laughs> all of a sudden there's people there. It's like, yeah, I have that dream all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that's like the best case scenario. Yeah,
0: exactly. is. Yeah. Ugh.
1: Okay. That's a very common one. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. It means something, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. So Willow. Someone write in and tell us what we should be putting in our dream journal.
0: <laughs> I try to keep a dream journal for a while because like I thought it would be interesting to go back and read my dreams, but I honestly don't enjoy it at all. I, <laughs> I sometimes have interesting dreams that make me like ponder, but mostly they're just like stress. They're just, it's, that's, that's how I get my stress out. <laughs> it's like having <laughs> crazy dreams and then thinking about them for the first like half hour of my day. But I think that's what they're for. Ugh, I guess, like that, that, most people don't like remember the science
1: them. of dreams is like people who don't dream. Like it's dreaming is a really healthy thing for your brain. I just like don't, it is how your brain processes
0: things. I don't feel like people normally remember them, or few, a lot fewer people remember them consistently. Anyway. But it is
1: a thing that's helpful. Like maybe you're just better at remembering them, but your yeah. brain is doing what it's supposed to yeah. do. Yeah.
0: Ugh. and I have probably talked about this before too, but I sometimes get sleep paralysis and that is the worst. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> it's like literally when you're laying there and that's why I don't really sleep on my back now because I figured out that's like one of the things that can make it happen. But if any of you uh, listening have never had it before, it's when you're laying and you are having a dream and there's typically some sort of like, either murderer or monster or spirit or something that's trying to attack you and you're in bed and you can see it and you're like half awake. So it's actually wherever you are, except that you can't move or talk or scream. And so it's terrifying. Um, I think it's also a pretty common reason why, like it's the rational explanation for like people who feel like they've seen ghosts or aliens or stuff like that. I mean, not to say that it's the only explanation, but it's certainly a valid one because I've definitely had, sleep paralysis nightmares where I'm like there is a demon at the end of my bed and it's gonna kill me and then you wake up and it kind of stays with you <laughs> yeah anyway um, this has been me getting well, extremely personal <laughs> sorry I, I
1: took this on a weird tangent it's okay I'm um, not talk. weird relevant I suppose it's but true. let's talk about Willow's let's dream talk about <laughs>
0: Willow. <laughs> so Willow's dream open up opens up with her and Tara you know in a room together kind of as they've typically been and they're talking about the new cat that Uh, Tara got and about how weirded it or Tara's really saying lamenting that it might be really weird that they haven't been able to name her yet. Uh, Meanwhile, Willow is writing bizarre runes on Tara's uh, back with like a paint with a paintbrush and some kind of like calligraphy ink or something. And she starts talking about how she's taking this new class. She's signed up for this new drama class and she has to go pretty soon or else she's going to be late um so sure enough she leaves and in a very dreamlike fashion like leaves from probably what was their dorm but is back in the school the hallways of Sunnydale High and Oz is there and Xander's there and she's like talking about how she has to go to drama class and they talk about how it's a challenging class um and she shows up to the drama only to find out that there there's no class at all they're already putting on a play again there's like a a multitude of, of little side characters that are there. Like Harmony's there, Riley's there, Giles is there. They're all involved in this play. Buffy's there. Uh, but of course, Willow keeps basically saying that, like, I, why are we even having a play? Like, didn't there, shouldn't there be a class first and shouldn't we rehearse? And all of, you know, somebody explains to her that her entire family's in the crowd, so they have to do a good job, blah, blah, blah. Also, Willow, I'm sorry, Buffy is dressed like a flapper. Riley is dressed like a cowboy. Harmony's dressed like Heidi. And they're putting on the play Death of a Salesman. <laughs> Oh, my God. That part was hilarious. Every um, time they did lines, I was like... The actual play, up, like, like, I could watch a whole episode that was just their version of Death of a Salesman. You and your salesman. <laughs> also, Riley, I'm looking for a man. A, sales a salesman. Man. <laughs> uh But, yeah, so Willow seems to, throughout her dream, have this kind of obsession or fixation on, like, her real identity, people finding out something about the real her. You know, again, there's, like, these kind of re- repeated comments about like people knowing her real name or people knowing her you know if she's in Buffy keeps telling her oh you're already in costume when in fact Willow's just kind of wearing her normal clothes um but yeah so uh, after the play Willow or not really after the play Willow kind of shuffles into another room and it's one of the high school classrooms and Buffy again is like emphatic that like get out of that costume and she like off-screen rips off whatever Willow's like quote unquote wearing, and then Willow's left standing there in her like season one guise of like she's got her longer hair back, she's dressed like a nerd, and she's in front of the classroom giving a report, you know, kind of terrified about it again. Um, that's where my notes end. <laughs> yeah, I guess after so, that she's getting stopped by the um the slayer, the first slayer and
1: Yeah. So I think the big thing is that people keep telling Willow like like, Tara tells her, you know, they'll find out about you. Yeah. Everyone's starting to find out about the real you. Buffy says nobody's going to find out the truth about you. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of identity right. kind of references to Willow. and Which um, makes perfect maybe sense. Maybe that Willow <laughs> is who she's supposed to be or people don't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And we kind of get, with the end of it, like, this idea that Willow is worried that she's never going to outgrow this, like, nerdy persona. yeah. But it also, the fact that it comes from Tara yeah. and Buffy and you get the references of Xander and Oz talking about two girls doing spells together. Right, right. That maybe it's more about like a different type of identity. Right. Um. Like, you know, the one... Willow's discovering with Tara. Right. Um, I'm not trying to like not say
0: it. (laughs) I I was like, um. No, no, no. But like, but then it might be more
1: about like her like sexual identity as opposed to like her nerdy identity.
0: But honestly, it's probably both. You know, she, out of everybody this year, she's probably changed the most and not, Mm -hmm. not that she's just changed because she's dating a woman now, but I think specifically in the way that she kind of underlines here you know she was a nerd and she never really she fit in and she had friends in high school but I think she was the one who really took to college right like this was the first there's tons of moments in the first episode or so where she's like oh my god everyone wants to talk about this and look at the library and look at blah 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 so it's like I think more than anyone she's finally found a place where she fits in where she didn't ever have that before so I think yeah by the end of the semester or the end of the school year I think it makes a lot of sense that not only has she gone through this kind of, you know, life-changing revelation about herself and who she's attracted to, but she's also like grown into a much more competent person. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I said competent and I meant confident, but also competent. Both,
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you know, in well, this competent that, in terms of like her spells, right. And so, and,
0: and you're right. I didn't even say that as much as they use spells as a, as a metaphor for, for again, yeah, for her gay identity. It's also a literal thing in this universe. So, She's also coming to terms with like becoming more and more of a witch.
1: Yeah. And if there's any question about whether they're using witchcraft as a euphemism for lesbianism, yeah. Yeah. it's that conversation between Xander yeah. and Oz yeah. where Xander's like, sometimes I think about two women doing spells together and I do a little spell yeah. of my own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is carried through into Xander's dream a it little is, bit.
0: But, which we can talk yeah. about when we get there. Yeah. Um, okay. So of all the things to pick apart in here, I think I think we're in agreement about more or less the theme is that. Willow's gone through a lot of changes this year, and she's kind of questioning like, "Oh, is this the real me now, or was am I really still that person that I was and mm-hmm. I, I think that that's very relatable. I also think that it makes se- you know it makes sense in the story, and I enjoyed kind of seeing the ways that that played out um but what were some other things that you picked up on or thought about
1: um well, I thought notably that scene where, um, the first scene with Tara, mm-hmm. where Tara kind of cryptically says, you don't know everything about yeah, me. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we talked about when they did the, the one spell where Tara hid the sand under the bed or something. Right. Right. Why, she know, was it doing kind that. Of, why would she do that? It's kind of an, an odd thing. and <clears throat> And when you know what happens with Tara down the road, it makes complete sense. And this is another little thread on that discovery of like, or you don't at least know what yeah. Tara thinks is the truth about her, right? right? Like you don't know everything about me. Yeah,
0: yeah, for um,
1: sure. And also, we should mention that Tara, through all, everyone's dreams, is sort of acting as like the kind of yes. The guide. Yes,
0: I really yeah. liked that actually too. I think Would that's you, like a really great use of Tara and particularly Amber Benson's like vibe. It um, is,
1: and I also think the implication is supposed to be that she's really there, like yeah, because she says, in, be. at least in Buffy's, like I was borrowed. Like mm-hmm. it seems like she's a strong, like magical presence, and she she was literally borrowed for this experience.
0: It's true, and sorry, not to derail us too much, but I I think what really what really resonates with me about that particular uh, theme, uh, like element of this episode is that. I think as much as anything, that's a real foreshadowing of like, that is kind of Tara's role in the group. You know, she is Mm -hmm. like somebody who's going to always be there for comfort. She's going to be somebody who's there for like the way that she calmly speaks to all of them is very much how she's going to develop. I think in the rest of the the season. And she's like kind of the, one of the emotional cornerstones of the group going forward, you know, it's like, and it's nice because she hasn't, she's only been there since this season. Um, But that felt really, true to her character to me, where I was like, that is exactly what I would do with Tara if I were writing this episode, you know, like that makes a lot of sense to me, especially again, as you've said, having seen the rest of the season of the, of the show, it, it more feels even more true to me.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's a hundred percent, Right, and I, you just gave me an, uh, another kernel of something that, I, but I want to wait and talk about it when we've talked okay. about everybody. Okay, but I also want to call out the scene between Oz and Tara mm-hmm. in the um, oh, when they're in the, in the classroom. classroom,
0: yeah, and they're sort of canoodling. and that's a really
1: interesting idea of like Willow watching Oz and Tara have this kind of flirtatious mm-hmm. moment, and I don't know what it's supposed to mean, but it's it's really kind of uh, I mean, it's I think it's that-
0: not biggest thing is that it's a another way that her insecurity is yeah is is presenting itself of like oh neither of them even really liked me that much they'd probably rather be with each other kind of thing um but that said i also think that there's a a, i i don't want to say i don't want to speak for willow and i haven't read all the comics so it's possible that they have made this canon in one way or another and i don't know about it but um because we're also mostly focusing on the show. But I think there's a great argument to be made that Willow is probably actually bisexual and not lesbian, because she, she, I I feel like you could certainly say that like she had a very meaningful and true relationship with Oz and that was somebody that she loved and she also loves Tara. So I guess that maybe, it could also maybe be a reflection on that. Although frankly, I don't think the show thought that was the case for the rest of the run. No,
1: I, I, you know, and I haven't read the comics in a while, but from what the rest of the TV show did and, the direction the comics went when I was keeping up with them that wasn't a claim that they were making like it was like she made a full shift to oh I'm attracted to women Mm -hmm. that said you know I forgot Oz was in this episode and it was a lovely surprise
0: (laughs) yeah and I I think more than anything that I actually didn't read too much into his presence in the high school hallway other than that felt like one of the more successful like really dreamlike elements of this episode where people are just there (laughs) you know things are just in a place either because it makes sense or it makes no sense and you just kind of keep on going on your way because that's just how dreams work so that was kind of really what I that was really what I took out of Oz being in that high school hallway was just like if you have a dream and it's taking place at high school Oz is there because he was always there
1: I think it's also really fitting that Willow kind of has that dream that we were talking about before where you like show up to the class Mm -hmm. and there's a final or something and you haven't been there all semester and studied and like it like if you're gonna assign dream tropes to each of these characters to me that's completely fitting that that's the one that willow gets
0: i agree and also that this is in fact another kind of extension of the nightmare that she has in the nightmares episode from season one or two? Oh, yeah. But that was her. She and she, makes, she had to she made a reference to it, too, where she said, like, I have a problem with opera because in that nightmare episode, <laughs> the scenario was that she was performing an opera and she was just like shoved on stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that that's also kind of fitting. And I think I mean, I don't want to go too far because nothing, no, nothing ever really feels like a dream except for a dream. But as insofar as dream episodes go, I think this is, like, a really good one. <laughs> and, like, yeah. again, that, that, that makes sense to me, that if the, the way that you have recurring nightmares is by having a play that you've never rehearsed for, it makes sense that she would have that dream again mm-hmm. in the way that, if it were me, it would be a tsunami. <laughs> so, again, the... <laughs> The actual play itself was just full of comedic moments. There's like Riley going on about how I showed up on time so I get to be cowboy guy. And he's like so (laughs) excited about it. I was like, that was hilarious. There's Harmony just like sort of passively trying to bite Giles as he's like giving a lecture explaining where everyone needs to go. He's like directing the play. And like, you know, she's just being a nuisance. Like she's not an actual threat, which is like very Harmony. That's exactly her role in this whole season so far. And again, yeah, this like Buffy being really overly dramatic about riley and men like in this 1920s like kind of vernacular and style it was just like that was amazing that was another moment where it's like it really is fun to watch sarah michelle geller sometimes just like run with something weird well that was a
1: thought that occurred to me was they must have had so much fun yeah doing this episode.
0: yeah totally because it's
1: just bananas
0: <laughs> i've loved that scene
1: so much <laughs> <laughs> So do you want to talk about Xander's? Yeah.
0: Xander's was surprisingly my favorite.
1: Yeah. And I I think maybe that speaks to, we kind of like Xander's feels the most realistic in a way.
0: They all feel, Uh, well, Willow and Xander's feel equally realistic to me. I think, I think actually, okay, my ex, we should talk about it because it's hard to say without explaining what was going on, but I feel like Xander's was the one that they had the most fun. despite that salesman, play being hilarious this is the one where I feel like oh Joss Whedon had fun writing an Apocalypse Now like parody (sighs) that's like also incredibly meaningful and like really made so much sense that like that was where I was like okay you're kind of blowing my mind obviously Xander is a tool in his and he keeps making gross comments about all the women in his life and as much as I'm Willing to admit that that's probably true to life. It did. It was the one thing that I didn't like about it, but other than that, I was like, "This one is is like pure gold. This is amazing. What you've done with this like ten minute sequence? Not even ten minutes, right?
1: Yeah. So, what, so one of the movies that Xander suggests that they watch is Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to agree with Giles. It is really overrated. <laughs> but, but so we get this segment of p- part of Xander's dream where he's in Apocalypse Now. He's I presume the Martin Sheen character. Mm-hmm. And he encounters Snyder as Kurt, yeah. which is the <laughs> Amazing. best thing
0: ever. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Who, and, and Snyder kind of gives this speech, like, you know, saying everything that Xander probably worries about himself, uh-huh. right? You know, like his future and all of that. Right. And in, a, and in other ways, apart from the Apocalypse Now stuff, like, his dream really feels like, you know, a stress dream about, like, what, what am, am I doing, doing with my future? Mm-hmm. Where am I going? Like, he's driving the ice cream truck again, mm-hmm. um, but notably, like, no one's driving it. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's just kind of going. Well, um, Anya's driving
0: it with emphatic gestures. <laughs> well, true. <trittle. laughs>
1: Another lovely moment yes. of Xander's dream. And he follows, or he, he, in the back of his truck, we see Willow and Tara, like, Heavily hinted they're, like, making out in the back. Of course, obviously, they don't show this because this is pre-women kissing each other on this show. But, you know, it's a little bit of a a window into a part of Xander's psyche that we've come to know really well, Mm -hmm. which is his gross attitudes towards women. Right. Um, Ties back to his, like, doing a spell by himself, like, when he's thinking of two women together. Um, But he follows them out, and he ends up in this, like, playground Mm -hmm. where Buffy's playing in a sandbox...
0: I believe he ended up back in the basement first. Okay. Because that, that was might the be other true. thing that kept happening through his dream. Again, as he's like questioning what, what he's gonna do in life and where he can go, he also keeps and repeatedly he, opening doors and ending up back in his parents' basement. Which right, I think was which is kind telling. of like
1: Yes, <laughs> that he's like kind of trapped there. there. Yeah. We see a little bit of like a indication that his relationship with his father is not good. Is bad, yeah. But he ends up in this playground and I think the most notable interactions of this scenario is Buffy's sitting in a sandbox Mm -hmm. and Giles and Spike are swinging on the swings. Mm -hmm. And Spike announces that Giles is going to train him to be a watcher. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And Xander kind of says, and he's like, oh, I'm like a son. And Xander kind of says like, yeah, I was into that for a while. Thinking like maybe Xander considered himself like oh. a son type figure to giles. giles yeah and but like he's not being groomed for like the watcher path right yeah um and then the other notable interaction is where buffy says i'm way ahead of you big brother and mm-hmm. she calls him brother in a way and like i don't know i mean i'm guessing this was the intention it's like xander kind of finally has that realization of like
0: oh, she sees me yeah. as a brother, yeah. Because I had a hard time. That's with the that way scene, she's always seen so, him, but
1: like the look on his face kind of seemed like it finally hit him. Yeah, maybe. What did you think about that?
0: I had a hard time with that scene, really trying to make heads or tails of it. Other than like I, I mean, I agree that it, overall his whole dream is about how he doesn't know what he's doing with his life and he's feeling really insecure about it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, the, I didn't. The have The only
1: other interpretation I thought of was the type of
0: Big Brother role he slides right, into with Don. Right, I was thinking that too. Which, yeah, sorry, I didn't if you say think it.
1: about where the comics go, that's then, really no, gross. But yeah. okay,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I, w- I was definitely more interested in the him repeatedly getting trapped in the basement scenario because mm-hmm. there's also like it. Not only does it happen several times but in the last one, as you said, like he has his he has this like kind of confrontation with his dad, who's opens the door at the like foot of the stairs that lead into the basement, and it, but he basically he says something about Xander says something about how like that's not the way out, which I think was also like a pointed comment about how his parents' choices in their life isn't what he wants Mm -hmm. for himself. And was like, that's not how I'm going to get out of this shitty basement situation, isn't going to be by doing whatever they've done and demonstrated to me. And I thought that was really poignant. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and I think you're right. I think that's the bigger element of Xander's dream is like him contemplating his future. And I think that of all the threads that we kind of see in these various dream sequences... Xander's is the one that I feel gets the most action.
0: But again, it's because they're literally filming a, like, pastiche on Apocalypse Now and clearly having a lot of fun doing it because, like, those shots of Snyder were, like, well-framed, like, well-lit, you know? It's like, I haven't actually seen Apocalypse Now, so I can't compare it, but Alex was, like, making a lot of comments about, like, that's exactly how it looks and blah, blah, blah. And, like, yeah, no, they did a great those job. Those are all the lines from the movie, but, like, even knowing, knowing, you know, again, it's like... The fun thing about people doing something like that is when they really make it work. Like they're not just using this for, because it's fun to make a, parody version of Apocalypse now they're doing it because it's meaningful for Xander's story It's so, like makes it all the better that like not only is it hilarious to see Snyder in this role but it's meaningful to hear the things that he says and then he says specifically to Xander like he also makes a lot of great comments just about the high school and the kind of cesspool nature of like from his point of view but like there's also that like you know again like this is like a play on Apocalypse now but he asks him are you a soldier and and Xander says no I'm a comfortador which is like a dumb play on a thing that he said creepy thing that he said to Joyce <laughs> yeah yeah. But Snyder saying you're neither, I think it was even another, like, yet another way that he's questioning not only his role in life and, like, where he's going and what kind of job he's going to have, but also, like, what is his role in the group of the Scoobies. Like, is he a soldier? No, and he knows he's not that. But also having someone kind of tell him to his face that, like, you're also not the one who's there to comfort everybody is, like, well, then where the hell do I fit in into this scenario? And I thought that was, like, another, like, really kind of gut-wrenching moment of, like, Xander having to grapple with, he he's not just insecure about where he's going in his personal life or in his, like, professional life, but every aspect of his life is in question.
1: Right. And, and I, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's why it seems like Xander's dream takes longer. I think it than was. Everyone yeah. else's. like, I think they do spend more time on that. But I also think there's no accident that like in the fifth season, especially like there are direct plot points that like address all of this in a way that some of the other um, dream scenarios don't. In get. the fifth se-
0: In the fifth season? Yeah. Oh, I guess his job. Yeah.
1: It's funny, like him getting a job, he's moving out, yep. like J- Xander, like really becomes more an, of an adult, and and I don't think it's an accident that it happens after this.
0: It's funny though because when I was watching this whole episode, I kept think I found a lot more themes and like place setting that felt like season six to me, but I, well, I think it's I feel continued like it's too. right? Yeah, yeah, of course, but yeah. it's just like kind of funny how how. I- I really wonder how much of this they had planned and how much of it is accidental and how much of it is just like, well, yeah, I guess if you're the same writers over and over again, you're kind to kind of circle around the same ideas. I guess it's probably all three of them, but yeah. I, and and
1: I, I wonder if this goes back to like, you know, Xander acting as like a, you know, avatar for Joss Whedon.
0: Yeah. But OK, so going back to like actual moments that reminded me of things, you know, Giles and um, Spike being on that swing set. That is another we're going to see that exact dynamic play out again mm-hmm. in season six, for, just for a briefly for an episode for one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that was hilarious. Also that. Um, yeah. As much as like Snyder is saying mean things to Xander about his role in the group, but specifically Xander's kind of role is another thing that gets flushed. I don't I don't want to say it's fleshed out, but it's like he has a really great moment about that in season seven. Like that was where that made that made me think of his speech to dawn. Um, yeah. In that poten- the, like potential episode, but also sorry to circle back to the obvious thing. Also, Xander's dream is completely about the army like he's getting stocked, not stocked, but like the initiative is there observing him. He's in this heart of darkness role. It makes sense that like that's something that he would like. But I I have to say that that one actually feels like a real missed opportunity yet again of like why isn't Xander joining the army or doing something related to armed forces or military or even like private, you know, bodyguard, <laughs> something about that is like, oh man, Xander, this is really a huge theme in your life. And it's frustrating that you won't lean in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, we kind of see it in that Xander's been fighting all of these forces for, you know, four years, three years at this point, And he's never trained. He's never like tried to get himself skills. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and that true. would be, yeah. this would be like the further element of that. Also, we didn't really mention, you kind of alluded to it briefly, but oh, yeah, Xander's his... dream begins with Joyce seducing yes. him or trying to yes. seduce him. I did not care so for that. <laughs> no, and I didn't really understand where that came from. Me other neither. than They were like, we've got Buffy's mom in this episode, let's try to use her. Yeah,
0: I, I think that could have been less gross and also more impact. I don't know. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't mean yeah. anything to me, so it was kind of frustrating. So should we move on to Giles? Yes. Okay. Giles, to me, is really interesting. You should go ahead then, because I have, I feel like I have the least to say about it. Well, I, I f- don't know. I, I don't feel know. like
1: his was maybe the shortest one. I think one, it was. But... There's a lot of elements where we can kind of see maybe what Giles is considering, because Giles has spent mm-hmm. the entire season a bit at loose ends, right? Like, Buffy fired him as her, as her Watcher, or indirectly fired him mm-hmm. because she fired the Watcher's Council. We've seen him have a bit of a personal life, where before he, other than Jenny, he never really did. Mm-hmm. And we see in this episode, like, Buffy is filling this role of daughter right, in a very childlike way, but... In a, in a way that's like Slayer slash daughter. Mm-hmm. And Olivia is like playing the role of Giles's wife and pushing a stroller and, and all of this. And, you know, they go to the fair and Buffy's like playing whack-a-mole or something. No, she was and, playing throw
0: a ball at a fake vampire.
1: Oh, okay. Right. She's playing some kind of game and, you know, we see her with a bunch of mud on her face, which is more of a preview for her dream. Mm-hmm. Um, But then we see Giles kind of wander into like Spike's crypt where Spike has (laughs) farmed himself out as a carnival attraction. Uh Like, you know, people are taking photos of him. Um, One of my favorite Spike moments in the entire series. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, (laughs) He kills it. But in the corner, (laughs) Olivia is like crying over the stroller. Yeah. Presumably something's happened to whatever kid is in the stroller. And, And to me, that's a very literal idea of like His Giles fear. making this choice yeah. between being Buffy's watcher, continuing to be Buffy's watcher, and having like a potentially successful personal life. Right. Um, because we never do see Olivia again. Right. Um, there's kind of some indication at the end of Hush that she found all of Giles's life a little bit too scary. Mm-hmm. And so maybe this is following up on that. But Giles is making the decision of like to continue to be Buffy's father figure Mm -hmm. versus like a real father.
0: That's funny, though, because I think the other way to interpret that scene is that, you know, much like Buffy, Giles is kind of really making all of the same personal sacrifices that she is in order to keep up with this thing. But that part of the reason why he probably doesn't want to have a family is that they would be in constant danger. And so maybe that scene is also like. Because I think that Olivia maybe looked pregnant in one of those scenes too, or in both of oh, them. Oh, yeah, she did. So it's yeah. like I, I think that yeah. On the one hand, it's him leaving her because he needs to choose Buffy over her, but it could also be like something terrible happened because he had a family and some demon caught wind of no, it or whatever. I, so
1: I think it's both. Yeah, like, exactly. I, think I definitely think it's both. The indication is yeah. like I mean, because he doesn't really make any decisions in the dream, of but course. like you see all these various paths that he has.
0: In front of yeah, him. I do think it's interesting that in this one and also in Xander's dream, you know, like in Xander's dream, Buffy was playing in the sandbox. Like that's also pretty infantilizing where, and in the beginning of Giles's dream, she's literally acting like a five-year-old who's like, can mm-hmm. we go play? And can we do blah, blah, blah. And like, I want cotton candy. So I, I mean, other than in Giles's dream, it makes sense to me. I'm not sure what it means in Xander's, but in, in yeah. Giles's, I think it's another, I mean, I think it could mean several things, but I think one of them is that, you know, he's also feeling guilty that she's still basically you know, she's getting older, but that like, she's always kind of been a child who's been saddled with this incredible burden, but also maybe that he thinks she's not taking things. You know, he, and he frequently says this out loud that he doesn't think Buffy takes things seriously enough. And that like, she maybe is to is immature sometimes in ways that she shouldn't be because of her role as the slayer.
1: Also in Giles's dream, mm-hmm. I want to mention the kernel of the idea for once more with feeling, uh, of
0: course. Yeah. That he goes and sings his feelings. His deep feelings are revealed through song. Yep. I forgot about that. Well, and that was another thing. Yeah. That reminded me of season six. Another thing that I didn't, we skipped over this, um, because it wasn't that significant, but in Xander's dream, um, Anya is talking about like, Oh, maybe I'll go back to being a vengeance demon because she doesn't really, she also doesn't really have any direction in life right now. She's like kind of stuck in this identity and she doesn't really know how to be human successfully. Um, but, and you know, and he kind of remarks about like, well, you know, he basically says something about how like, but that's so vengeful (laughs) and like, that's so bad. And like, not only is like her returning to her vengeance demon life, a thing that is going to actually happen, but also really reminded me of the themes of season six again of like vengeance is a huge personal motivator for the end of that seat, the second half of that season. Mm -hmm. So I thought again, like lots of things that reminded me of season six in here. Um, I can't believe I didn't remember Giles's song either though. It was great.
1: (laughs) No, and you can kind of, I mean, just the style of it and everything, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, this is c- clearly the beginning of the idea of we should do a whole episode like this. Yeah.
0: Do you think that he was beleaguered or proud of being thought of in his dream as, like, the one that has to have the answers? So I feel like that was also kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Because it seems like, I mean, in, in real life, Giles seems often, you know, proud to be the one mm-hmm. that they go to but also it is a burden mm-hmm. but he so. also said
0: something to the slayer about like i'm gonna beat you with my intellect <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's like he seems to really think that that's his strength i mean it is his strength um yeah also anya has a little brief stint as stand-up comedian in this one <laughs> yeah. all the little background jokes were pretty great <laughs> as you mentioned spike hiring himself out as like sideshow attraction and just like repeatedly posing for photographs in black and white was like that i could watch that for a long time too hilarious oh man um okay you want to take us through buffy's dream
1: yeah so buffy's is a little bit of a journey i don't really remember oh it it begins much like where a common thing that happens Mm -hmm. in buffy's dreams where she's making a bed with someone right right that that bed they're back to that bed it's usually faith so Mm -hmm. we saw in uh the end of season three like she and faith are making the bed and that's how faith gives her the idea Idea of how to defeat the mayor mm-hmm. and then we see again in um, the body switch this year's episode mm-hmm. that they're also making this bed. So we see this bed is kind of unmade and Tara's helping her make it and Buffy says faith and I just made this mm-hmm. bed so it's it's a reference to like yes, we've seen this before this mm-hmm. they' who are they making this bed for mm-hmm. right and in I believe it was in this year's girl, Faith made a reference to little sister right. And in this one, Buffy and Tara are making the bed. They're kind of talking about things. And Buffy leaves to go find her friends. Mm -hmm. And Tara says, be back before (laughs) dawn. So we know what that's about (laughs) (laughs) now. But if you're watching this for the first time and you haven't seen season five, this is just a random thing that Tara says. But in retrospect, it's like, whoa, you know? Yeah. Um, So that's the really big, I think, the really big thread of... One of the really big threads of Buffy's dream that's like foreshadowing for what's to come and and, like I mentioned in my recap at the end of the episode, Buffy goes upstairs and she's kind of looking at this bed that she's now dreamed about three times, mm-hmm. right um, and they're making this bed, and so what something's coming like she because at the end of her dream the well, I'll get into it, so she then um encounters Riley and Adam. Like, mm-hmm. essentially pl- taking over, like, the leftovers of the initiative right. or whatever. And R- Riley's, like, you know. Important uh, military guy. Says, but he's, like, yeah, he's being soldier guy. Um, and there's a human who is clearly the actor who played Adam. I don't think
0: it's clear at all. He doesn't look like him to me. I have never thought he looked like himself.
1: It is when he finally, when she finally, like, references Right, I mean, they is. say it, yeah. But he does look really skinny. He's, exactly. But I and think I'm it's like, also so just weird. his, like, Lindsay-style suit.
0: Maybe. That he's wearing. Maybe.
1: (laughs) Like, it makes him look really skinny. I think he didn't look like Adam. So, Buffy has, like, a bag of what we would think is, like, weapons, but it turns out it's, like, full of mud. Mm -hmm. And she starts, like, slathering it on her face. Sure, yeah. And then she steps into, like, the desert. Mm -hmm. And that's where Tara shows up and she says, you know, I was borrowed. Mm -hmm. I'm a guide. And then Buffy is the only one to fully be confronted by this slayer yeah. presence like she she takes out all her friends because she tells Buffy like you're supposed to be alone right and that's why she's removing all her friends and Buffy says no we don't do it this way anymore they have a bit of a fight and the slayer I forget the words she says to her but she she's like oh is it Tara or the slayer says like you don't even know what's
0: coming I think Tara like, says like that the slayer are, only said like two words
1: Yeah, but basically the idea is, like, Buffy hasn't even begun to discover what it means to be a slayer. which
0: is true.
1: Which is true, and that's a thread that they do carry through. Yeah, that's the season five thread. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But also I think there's this interesting throwaway line that Buffy has at one point in her dream where she says, I'm going to be a fireman. And, like, Mm, it's just this, like, this idea of, like, Buffy still wanting to help people, but, like, this idea that she has a choice of what she wants to be—it's not something that she has. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah, that is um, interesting.
1: Um, but Buffy's dream, I feel like, of all the others, doesn't really have as much of a clear direction. Yeah,
0: and you did actually skip over one part of her dream, which is that at one point she's walking through the halls of UC Sunnydale, and Joyce oh, is yes. living in the wall. <laughs> and yes. that one was funny to me. Because, that part was funny because to me it felt a lot more like a comment on season four than like a comment on Buffy <laughs> like about like it how re- Joyce hasn't been there yeah yeah basically that they're like oh she was trapped in the wall and like she hasn't been there this whole time and I was like I I mean they have made bailed comments to like oh Buffy doesn't go home enough and blah 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 but it, it, every time that Buffy's been home it seems like Joyce is totally fine with it like she understands that like her daughter is in her first year of college and she's gonna be away more than she used to be so it's like I don't really feel like this meant anything about their relationship I think that it was everything to do with like remember Joyce <laughs> like she's here again yeah. and like Again, like Joyce's whole presence in this episode is very much setting setting stage setting for the next season where she is going to become a main character again. Um, Right.
1: In some way, it's almost like, hey, remember how Buffy has a mom? Yeah, exactly. I was like, yeah, (laughs) because Joyce is a huge presence in season five, Mm -hmm. and you know, we get that pointed comment at the beginning of the episode where she's clearly heard about Riley and she's finally finally met met him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the the funny thing, kind of the ironic thing, maybe about this episode to me is that. So, you know, we haven't even touched on every single thing, but for the most part, we've touched on several things no. that are like, this is foreshadowing for this thing in season five, and this is for season six, and this is for season seven. And, and generally, all of the things that they talk about in this episode are are going to continue to be parts of the characters' lives for the next three seasons. Um, the one thing that felt inconsistent is the Slayer, the first Slayer, because she also is going to come back. And I feel like the way that they're depicting her here is... is is not completely different than how they're going to depict her later, but I think it's pretty different from how they're going to depict her later. It's like, she's sort of villainous. And to be honest, I didn't really understand her motivation other than like, yeah, maybe she has this like instructional desire to tell Buffy like that you're doing it wrong and you need to not be with your friends. But it was a little bit her. I didn't really understand. And I feel like, again, thinking about where it goes in season seven, where it's like much more about how she's been put in this position against her will. It it felt very off out of key more than anything else in this episode. I mean, literally nothing nothing else in this episode feels out of key. And that was the thing where I was like, you're going to kind of change your mind about that one.
1: I took it to be more of like a admonishment of Buffy, Mm -hmm. of like using that spell to defeat Adam. Right. They were kind of dealing with something that they didn't understand or have a right to touch,
0: you know? Right. But I guess I feel like that doesn't refute my point entirely.
1: No, it doesn't. I agree with you. That's the least clear part of the whole. And Not thing. even.
0: I guess my. I'm not complaining that it's unclear because I think for a dream episode with like a big kind of <laughs> presence, like sure. I. I guess my. The thing that's making me chuckle is like thinking that like of all the things in the episode that are inconsistent, the like sort of at one plot element is the thing that is like going to come back again, but in a kind of different way. Yeah. Which you know again like makes sense that they thought about her less than they thought about the actual main characters of the show. But uh, I had something else no, to say I think about that it. But. The
1: the whole thing about this episode. That I think does function really well as a finale in a way that Primeval didn't is that, you know, they've, I think overall season four was extremely successful Mm -hmm. for, especially for a season of transition. Um, They kind of like whiffed it a little bit on the big bad, Mm -hmm. but, but that was also due to maybe forces beyond their control. But I think that they took that, and then we have this amazing episode of a mission statement of, like, the next. these are the directions yeah, that we're going. Totally. Like, these characters, okay, we've covered their first year of college. I don't think it's an accident that college is sort of a background element from here on mm-hmm. out. Like, they're approaching them of, like, okay, You're these become, are mm-hmm. four adults mm-hmm. in the world, and we're approaching how they are making their way through the world. Yeah. And the questions that they're answering are not just – how am I going to get through class? I've got to study for French. It's like big ex- existential, like how am I going to live questions? Right. And we sort of have a little bit of a nudge of like where we might see them go. And I think some of it gets followed up on really well. Some of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. The, I think the least successful one is like this great mystery around tarot.
0: I agree. <laughs> That's funny. I was thinking that when you were talking about it, I was like, that one really kind of gets, is has an anticlimactic moment. It's a good story, yeah. but it doesn't, it's not like, the story of season five it's like one episode in season five you know yeah it is a great moment but it's like yeah that one you're building this up to be a bigger thing than it is which is kind of weird yeah um and I
1: think we get this idea this is the first time we get the idea where Buffy's not just thinking you know I am the slayer because of this and this is what this means we're going to start to see Buffy explore even more what it means to have these powers and why and yeah.
0: um what what that means because there is a moment um, where she said like I've literally never thought about it you know who yeah, who yeah. even really came before her or more specifically who was the very first one um, which I
1: think is fitting then that we get into season 5 and we're grappling with questions of older mm-hmm. threats and mm-hmm. older villains and you know yeah older than these 200-year-old vampires that they've been fighting right. you know uh 300-year-old demons or who knows what yeah before we get on to uh Oh yeah, you Angel. had another
0: thing you wanted to say earlier. Oh, I said it. Oh, it was the Terra thing?
1: No, well, partly, but it was more like the mission statement for like the directions. Oh. So, yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I'm sorry. I actually wanted I mean, this is just reiterating more or less what you said, but I really do think this is really a turning point in the show of like there's the first three seasons and there's the last three seasons and season 4 really is stuck in the middle and this one is like mm-hmm. in particular, this episode is like a really good like digestion of like where they came from and where they're going and just like p- drawing a pretty distinct line in the show between like the first you know the first 3 seasons and the last 3 seasons of like it is a pretty different show from where it started out with i really like where it goes and i feel like i'm i'm like really excited to watch these next 3 seasons well 7 i'm not about but but yeah but i yeah i think just again to kind of re- reiterate what you said is like this is a really real turning point and so it's even more like fitting that they have a moment like this where they take a second to like breathe and like think about it <laughs>
1: Yeah, And I think that, you know, if you look at the first episode of this season versus this episode, that one very clearly belongs to the first three seasons and this one belongs to the last three. Right. And I think you're right. There's a very clear dividing line. Which is why sometimes when you go from, say, season two to season five, it can feel like a totally different show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Final question. Mm -hmm. Do you wear the cheese?
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. The cheese is wearing me.
1: <laughs> we did not mention the, the cheese man. You're right. <laughs> but I think- that is the absurdest element of that. The shared element of all their dreams is this guy with these like cheese slices it
0: is, it is funny I have to say that like that's the one that feels the most ham-fisted to me though of like all these actual genuine hilarious moments that are going on like that one is funny and it is kind of like a moment about like how dreams are weird but like it's not my favorite I think
1: what, I think it's just this commentary of like
0: dreams can be really meaningful but every now and right. then there's just something that's just there but I guess I think that the better version of that to me was when in Xander's dream, you know, he wakes up and they're still watching the movies and he says something. Buffy's eating popcorn and he's like, oh, butter flavor. And she's like, no, new car. I'm like that yeah. feels a lot more <laughs> like a real dream moment where like something completely bizarre is just there versus like the cheese guy always seems a little forced to be. And I think it is because it's like I, that one. I also like didn't think about much because I know that. Joss Whedon has said, like, oh, yeah, that, that one doesn't mean anything. And it's like, well, I think you're trying too hard to make something not mean something. Where it's like, new car smell, I don't think, has any ramifications on Buffy at the whole on the whole. But, like, anyway, it is still funny. I liked him the most in Willows when he first shows up.
1: All right, well, let's talk about Tu Shanshu in
0: L.A. Okay. I wrote Tu Shanshu from L.A. I think I'm thinking of Tu Wong Fu. <laughs> I, I've never <laughs> actually seen that movie, but... <laughs> Uh, Anyway, so uh, apologies, because like, well, never mind. My summaries are always the same and I'll try and be brief as always. So in this episode, we're pretty much picking up on the um, where the last one left off, which is that Angel stole this kind of prophetic scroll and Wesley is going to great lengths to try and decode it and to not just, not just translate it, but also figure out what it means in terms of like, they know that it has mention of a slayer. I'm sorry, of a slayer of a vampire that has a soul and like something about his destiny. So Wesley's trying really hard to figure out what it all means. Um, meanwhile, Lindsay has like def- defected and he's back at Wolfram and Hart, And we find out that not only do they know that they, that angel stole that scroll and they're annoyed that it's missing, but they specifically need that scroll to complete like a ritual that they've had planned. So they have like, some of the Wolfram and Hart, like, who knows, their lackeys, their associates, I don't know what their role is, but those guys, like, performing a ritual to summon this demon who then chides them for letting the scroll go and basically explains that, like, he's going to get it back himself. So, yeah, I mean, that demon goes and he decides that he's going to more or less, like, he has a pretty clear plan on how he's going to, like, break Angel's ties to the powers that be, which means that he finds the oracles that Angel visited once or twice and he kills them, Um, but then also that he's going to, like, put all of Angel's friends in danger so that Angel has to leave his house, his house, their offices so that he, that this demon guy can steal the scroll back. Um, so there's a few other things going on in the background, you know, Kate's back in this episode for some reason and uh, Angel in invokes the help of gun again to like protect his friends while he goes to do battle at the Wolfram and Hart offices. Um, so yeah, sure enough at the end, you know, the kind of climax is that Angel shows up to the, Wolfram and heart like dungeon where that they have, obviously they have one where they're finishing this ritual. Now that they have the scroll back, they're trying to summon like quote unquote, the beast Um, and angel breaks in and kind of tries to disrupt the ceremony. He manages to kill the demon that was, you know, chasing down Cordelia and Wesley um, earlier in the episode. But uh, Lindsay jumps in to take over for the ritual and manages to successfully complete this like spell that they were performing to summon a beast. So, the rest of the lawyers at Wolfram and Hart manage to shuffle that like this, like caged animal that we don't see, shuffle it into another room and get it to safety. While Lindsay is left there with Angel, uh, with the scroll. So Angel is desperate to get this scroll back. You know, he and Lindsay have this kind of drawn out fight where he chides him for going back to Wolfram and Hart. And at the la- you know, and at the end of it, Lindsay's like, well throws the scroll into a fire or start holds it over the fire. That's lit in the middle of the room so that it's going to get destroyed. And Angel can never have it. And Angel in a pretty sharp moment, uh, throws his weapon at Lindsay and cuts off his arm in order to get the scroll back. And then he leaves. So by the end of this episode, Lindsay is without an arm, even more avowed to Wolfram and Hart, who's obviously taking care of him for making this like brave sacrifice. Um, Angel has the scroll back and, um, We find out that the beast is, in fact, Darla, who they've somehow brought back from the dead. Um, Also, I didn't say the actual title of this episode. Shanshu is like the word that Wesley is having a really hard time translating. And at the beginning of the episode, he makes this. um, He decides that what it means is death and it means that Angel, the vampire with the soul, is doomed to die. But by the end of it, he realizes that he's sort of been misunderstanding what it meant and that it, in fact, means that if Angel completes some sort of mission, he's going to be rewarded by being turned human.
1: Is there something called to live and die in LA? Yeah. So that's it, right? Oh, Shanchi yeah. means live both and die. live and die. Yeah. Yeah. I I just figured that. Ah. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, not to like, I, I liked this episode, but it was a very like this is a mid season climax kind of episode, not like a series finale, a season finale kind of episode to me. I think it was like, except for the end. Yeah, but even that was kind of like. That's a cliffhanger that you have, like, before Christmas break, and then you, like, come back in January, and you're like, eh, it's, like, crazy shit's happening, Darla's back. I don't know. but I like I don't know, I liked this I, episode, but it wasn't a very strong finale, in my opinion. I agree with you, like, overall, no,
1: but I think it is in that this is the one where we get the shift where... Right. I mean, this is the episode where Angel becomes about the prophecy. Angel becomes about his tangling with Wolfram and Hart. Right. This is the one where everyone kind of changes. Like, Angel finds out about this prophecy... You know, he has that scene where he's just, like, grinning with hope. Like, he's got something to work towards now. Like, Angel has been searching for purpose, like, this entire season, and now this prophecy has given it to him. Like, he knows what he's supposed to do. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think Um, this is definitely the episode where Angel the show has finally conclusively maybe found its footing. You know, not to say that there's never going to be a bad episode again, but, like, they've figured out themselves what they're going to do and what the purpose of the show is. I... But we get, we get like a
1: clear mission, right? Like the show and Angel both know now what they're about. We start to see the seeds of like character arcs, like Cordelia's shift to like being a better person, like has been slowly happening over this whole season, but like she gets a really big push in this episode because she gets attacked with like seeing all the cert, like all the pain and suffering that she would. Thank you. That's the word
0: (laughs) that people around her are experiencing and it's like puts her in a like fragile like yeah state in the hospital and we set
1: up you know angel and Lindsay as antagonists more in a way than they were before um and we're setting up for season two and we've sort of been seeding through i mean this is where i was finally like okay i think this is what all these flashbacks were for that we couldn't figure it out because they're just reminding us about darla so that when she shows up we know who she is yeah
0: that's a good point
1: but it, I still agree that it wasn't successful to tie it in with stories about Kate and
0: like all this stuff. I mean, I don't know why Kate, why, why they bothered with Kate. I, on the flip side, I loved the interaction with Gun. Um, yes, because I felt like that was a really. I mean, it's a brief scene. He's not in this episode for very long, but I felt like that was a really cool shorthand for like, oh, Gun and Angel are the same type of hero because it's like Gun's there and he's like teasing Angel at the beginning, and and like because Angel deserves, it. you know, Angel always shows up in these like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Frantic moments where he's like de- making demands of people, and I think that Gun is rightfully like, "Hey, buddy, don't you like say hello?" More, you know, he's like kind of says something like that. But as soon as Angel kind of explains what's going on and that like my friends have been hurt and I need someone to go watch them, like Gun immediately like flips the switch of like, "Oh, of course!" And he just goes and does it. You know, like he doesn't ask any further questions. He doesn't need to know any more details because I think like they have this same like protector mode. I think they're the same. Like I said, I think they're the same type of hero, and I thought that was a really cool like. Oh, Gun is. Just as badass as Angel, or at least in that way, you know.
1: They're very similar, yeah. and I think this is also a really good indication of like where the character is going to incorporate into the show. Because, you know, in the War Zone when we meet Gun, mm-hmm. Angel says, "Hey, maybe I'll call on you if I need right. help," and it's this kind of like vague thing. Yeah. But Gun has been in every episode right, since then, right. so he's clearly here to right. stay.
0: I can't wait for more. And Gun. I don't think
1: that's an accident. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. on the flip side. Is this the last we
0: see of Kate? I cannot remember for the life of me. I thought her last episode was like three showings up ago. (laughs) I thought her last episode was the one with her dad dying, but whatever.
1: Yeah, but I really enjoyed the interaction she had with Angel, where Angel basically just told her, like, get over yourself. Like, stop blaming me for things that I can't control. And she kind of, I think it looks like she realizes he's right. Maybe, But... I don't remember the last we see of Kate. So yeah. I'm hoping this is it, but I I suspect it's not. Yeah, I think you might be right. She might show up for at least one more episode. Um,
0: I mean, in the simil- similar, you know, we're getting place settings for everyone, basically. Again, and I think that's the... Th- <laughs> it's I liked this episode. Um, mm-hmm.
1: But I agree but it's with you. It's a a is bit... not a good
0: finale. But they're doing, kind of as with the Buffy episode, they're doing a lot of place settings. So like we said, like we get to see... Yeah where Gunn is going to fit in in this storyline in the future. Cordelia solidifies, like, why she's there and that she's going to commit to their mission, not just doing this as, like, a way to get a paycheck while she looks for something else. And And that
1: this group is not going anywhere. Like, that scene where she tells Angel, you know, she hands him the blood and she says... Your family, Don't be embarrassed, we're family. Like, they're they're coming together in a way that's really solid and permanent, right? right?
0: And I think on the the Um, flip side of that is that we also are getting Lindsay really solidified as, like, he, he is... I, I I think that it was still ambiguous at the end of the last episode whether what choice he was going to make. But in this episode, they make it clear that he's decided to stay with Wolfram and Hart. I think that mm-hmm. I I like guffawed out loud. I totally forgot about the arm thing. Like I, yeah. not only did I forget that it happened at all, but like I definitely forgot that it happened in this episode and that Angel was the one that did it. But like that was actually that was by far my favorite moment in this episode where I was like that is also like a really. That is Angel the Show saying the Angel is not Buffy. Angel is didn't hesitate to literally chop off a human's arm <laughs> like to get what he needed. Nope. And not just to get what he needed, but because, you know, Lindsay was being an asshole about it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, there was... Yeah, I, in
1: some ways, Angel lost his temper. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, like, it, and I just... I thought that was such a good moment because it's shocking. And it's, like, really good motivation for Lindsay to hate Angel from now on, you know? Like, it's, like, yeah. it's not just that he... They had that episode where it was, like, maybe... You know, Lindsay was in a moment of crisis and Angel did his best to convince him. But if they hadn't ended, if they hadn't had that scene in this episode, I think there still could have been this like lingering camaraderie between the two of them. That's like I think Angel would have felt more like, oh, he can be changed. I mean, I don't want to say this because I actually think that that does come up again for Lindsay. But I still think that it's like a good way to say that, like, Lindsay has not just made this decision, but now he is really committed to it because there's no way that he, at least in the near future is going to have anything but. Horrible feelings towards Angel, in addition to like that being what he's getting paid to do.
1: Speaking of table setting, the oracles are dead. Yeah, thank God. Um, which leaves room for Angel to have a different path to the powers yes, that be. Can't
0: be more excited. Other than Cordelia, mm-hmm.
1: and I'm very ready for that path because mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters. On Angel. Agreed. Yeah, so I agree with you. This is less a finale and more of like a finale slash premiere mm-hmm. episode yeah, yeah. where like they're. <laughs> This is the start of, a, of, a of a new an entirely show. different yeah. show. Yes. Like, forget the weirdness and, you know, inconsistencies and uncertainties of season one. Like, we're, we're starting on a path of, like, this is what Angel is going to be. Yeah. These are the things they're concerned with. This is their mission statement. These are the characters. These are, you know, everything that's, like, leaving behind this, like, P.I. Right. Like,
0: this, like, fil- police, film police, like inter- Like, we, we have very little to do with yeah. all of that from now on. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it was still sa- it was satisfying, and I,
1: I also they blow up Angel's investig- Angel Investigations. Oh, I didn't
0: actually realize that I I didn't realize that. That makes sense though. That's the building that blew yeah, up. Yeah, I thought it was just the car in the street, but you're right that it was a building.
1: So there, we're gonna have a new location as mm-hmm. well. I mean, this is like everything clean slate, right? right. Like we've killed the yeah. Oracles, we've gotten rid of their base of operations, mm. like all of this. Everyone has to start like, over. Exactly. And it's kind of the show saying this didn't work and (laughs) this is what we're doing. Yeah.
0: That makes me excited. Is the series premiere then or the season two premiere where they get their new headquarters? Because I like that episode, I think.
1: Uh, I think it might be, if not the premiere, maybe the second second episode. Hmm. It's pretty early. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about the hotel. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to keep reminding myself that fred doesn't come until season three so.
0: i know I, for a second i was like, Wait, like is i was fred getting really excited and no. then i was like yeah <laughs> well, <laughs> not no. yet. i know that's not how she comes but maybe
1: yeah okay i don't really have too much more to say about that Mm-mm. about shanshu yeah jenny do you have any <laughs> pop culture this week
0: <laughs> i do sort of um admittedly this is kind of a This is not a really great recommendation, but I watched Men in Black last night with my friend, and it (laughs) was amazing. (laughs) My friend has been telling me for, like, months that, like, oh, my God, Men in Black really holds up, and it's, like, so much fun to watch after you've lived in New York because they set in New York, and, like, there's all these little in-jokes and stuff, but, like, it did hold up. It was a great movie. It's not, like, meaningful, but it was... I have, like, a lot of nostalgia for the summer that that came out, and, like, I just was, like... I spent yesterday and today listening to, like late nineties music and just like really reveling and like being a kid and getting to see this like great summer blockbuster that is like, it's a totally tight script. It's like very well plotted. It makes, you know, makes sense at least as much as some, a movie about a, you know, (laughs) a secret organization that's like secretly funded that protects the earth against galactic (laughs) disturbances or whatever, like, As much sense as that can make, it makes sense. And also, I think like Galaxy Defenders. Yes, I was trying not to say that for whatever reason, but um, anyway, I don't know. Also, like Will Smith is so charming, and I don't watch a lot of his you know more current stuff because I think for good reason. Like he doesn't necessarily want to do that role all the time anymore. But like it was, it's like oh man, this is like really Will Smith in his heyday, just being like a charming guy running around the streets of New York chasing aliens. And there's also so many weird cameo not cameos but like everybody in that movie is like a face that you recognize or like i didn't actually know everybody's names but it's like tony shalhoub like plays an alien and like rip torren plays one of the guys that's like in charge of the men in black you know it's just like a lot of weird like so many talented people were involved in it i guess is what i want to say also the guy that is like the bug suit guy is amazing <laughs> edgar
1: the guy that feels like a direct descendant of the one of the three from...
0: Uh, yes, Buffy. yes, who's, like, leeching... Not leeching, but, like, spilling out cockroaches everywhere he goes. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, if you've Those not... always feel very similar to yeah, me. Yeah, if you haven't watched Men in Black in a while and you need just something to, like, cheer you up, it was, like, pretty fun. Also, I remember... <laughs> my friend and I kept talking about this, so like, I remember that movie came, in, came out feeling like Tommy Lee Jones was so old and, like... Tommy Lee Jones has gotten so much older. I was just like, oh my god, he's so young in this movie. He's been around for a while. He really has.
1: Yeah, he's pretty old now. He's he's now doing movies where he's
0: playing an old person. Mm -hmm. I loved also thinking about how, like, for... I think for everybody who's our age, maybe not, you know, probably not for everybody, but like Tommy Lee Jones, the only thing I knew him from as a child was this, (laughs) like he was obviously a very established and respected actor at this point. And it's exactly the same as how, like, for, I think everybody our age, like, yeah, Joe Pesci is the guy from home alone, but like he obviously had a like important career, you know, and like (laughs) before that, it just cracks me up sometimes thinking like there's a million 30 year olds out here who just think of you as that guy from men in black,
1: (laughs) If they haven't seen Batman.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I guess that's true, but...
1: But, yeah, this is more of an indelible role than Mm -hmm. Mm Two-Face. Especially because that one with Two-Face is, like, in a really busy movie with, like, the Joker and Penguin. Are they in the same one? Maybe they're not.
0: I get all those ones confused. He's
1: in one with a bunch of villains, though, so it's like he's just one of many. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Anyway, do you have anything? No. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, so, also, we should say that, uh, you know, we skipped a week before this, ep- or not before this episode, but we skipped a week uh, a few for Memorial Day, and we're also skipping a week after this ep- episode airs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the next episode is going to go up on June 25th, uh, and we're going to dive into season five of Buffy and season two of Angel, so... Sorry, we're skipping a few weeks. There's a lot of travel plans and the summers get kind of hectic. So um.
1: I think there's just going to be one week between airing, though.
0: Right. Yeah. Skipping the week of 18.
1: Give us all a little bit of time to breathe until we get into season five and season two. Yeah. So which honestly, like, I feel like because this was the first season that was like the full length. Mm hmm. Because we were doing one of each, right?
0: Oh yeah, dragged I on long. I just along. feel like
1: this was such a journey, it was, you're
0: right? <laughs> I, that's funny because I was kind of—I forgot about that, and I was kind of wondering why this felt like it had taken so long. But you're totally right because it, it took, took twice, twice as long. long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that said. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um. Hmm. I think, I'll, I think I'm. Hmm, I think I'm team Giles this week. I think he kind of gets. Yeah. Sh- He kind of gets the short shrift in his story repeatedly forever, and I appreciated what they tried to do in this one. You know, Giles has given up just as much as Buffy has, I guess is what I want to say.
1: True. Um, But I think I'm Team Tara.
0: Oh, that's another good choice.
1: For being the guy. Yeah. For being the first to say Dawn. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: For needlessly worrying about what everyone's going to think of her. It's true. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: So okay. All right. Well, I will literally physically see you, and that's a true. I, I'm pretending that you're coming for my birthday. That's definitely why I'm coming. It's just someone's way, <laughs> <laughs> but not in my world. Yeah.
0: Oh well. Um, I'll try and frantically figure out some plans.
1: <laughs> but on the internet, I'll see you in a couple in a weeks. Couple weeks. <laughs> All right. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye. Once more with commentary is produced by me,
0: Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder.
1: And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have. And find us on Twitter and Instagram at podcast.
0: You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com.